tuning in to What's the Tease. For today's episode, let's welcome one of the deadliest performers, Cleveland burlesque queen, Bella Sin. Thank you for joining me. Hola, hello, how are you? Thank you for having me. Hola. (laughs) So, Bella, 2023 marks your 20th year in burlesque. So I'd like us to... Yeah. Yeah, so I'd like us to travel back in time. You're originally from... Juarez in Mexico, and as a teenager, you immigrated with your family to Denver in the U.S. Is this where you discovered the book A Pictorial History of Burlesque by Bernard Sobel when in high school? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. What age exactly was that? I was 15 or 16 years old, and I was actually the first time I was ditching class. Somebody told me that I needed to have the U.S. teen experience of high school. So that means intentionally not attending to a class and go somewhere. Okay. Nobody told me where, so I went to the library. Mm-hmm. So I just was walking around, and I ended up in the theater section. Mm-hmm. And I was just, like, looking through books, and this is a public school, so underfunded, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I, I saw this thing, like, I actually own that book now. Not the one I took, but <laughs> um, but I noticed it and like I grabbed it, I opened it, and that that was it. I love it that that was your initiation into the American teen experience. It <laughs> 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 wasn't like Cosmo or anything like that. And also, like I love that you, you know, on your bunking class day, went to the library. <laughs> I, I tell people I was a very lonely teen and um, books provided shelter. So, and I was also incredibly bullied. So where did bullies not go? The library. So I spent a lot of time there. I was actually in the chess club. Wow, amazing. Was it around this time when you lied about your age in order to take a ballistic class? Yeah, I was about 17 when I actually found it in the paper. And this and was in Denver, right? Yeah, okay. it was in Denver. And I looked a little older because um, I wore a lot of makeup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like this alternative teen life, right? Mm-hmm. I think, honestly, I think my teacher knew that I was underage. But it was probably like in my mind, I like to think that she's like, oh, they're definitely not as old as they say they are. But I'm still going to protect them here because this. You know, but I did debut in burlesque when I was 18. Wow. And what did you take away from that experience as a still coming of age youth? I understood the power of my body. I was actually just talking to my therapist about this. When I stepped on stage, I understood what power I willed. And since then, because we were talking about my like personal insecurities and my body has never been one of them. It's been my nails, but not my body. <laughs> it's like I always have to have manicured nails, but like my body, I was just like, "Hey, this this is who I am. Take it or leave it. Have a good day." Wow, that's like so, pretty powerful yeah. for a teenager to be able to have that connection with their body when, especially at that time, 
it does feel like such a disconnect because it's like your brain and your body is and your heart it's just not speaking the same language i think they had to speak the same language because they grew up so fast mm-hmm. immigration from mexico to the united states made us grow up you know and then when my mom divorced when i was nine i had to grow up like i had to help her and be like the second mom in the house and take care of my sister cook and clean and already had a development of responsibility because I didn't have the chance to be a kid anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think once I, I reached this stage, then I understood the wielding of, of all this power. Awesome. Upon seeing a performance by Kitten DeVille, you began to study burlesque on your own. So what did the self-education of burlesque entail for you in 2002? Like, what did that look like when there's no Instagram and YouTube isn't, of course, what it is today? Listen, those were the wild, wild west days. I shouldn't use that analogy because it's probably problematic. I should say it was the most weird time to become an entertainer because there was obviously a resurgence at that point happening. Mm-hmm. But all that I was finding was the library, it was books, conversations, talks. Um, I had to travel to Chicago to take classes. I had to travel to New York to take classes, Detroit. It was easier to pen pal with legends at that point than it was um, finding just regular classes. and. Everybody had a different idea of what burlesque is. Everybody still has. Most of the ideas that exist today exist then, which is a patriarchal outlook of burlesque and, you know, oh, this is just women stripping or people stripping. Mm-hmm. And obviously part of it, but not it. But the, um, it was a lot of research and a lot of um, not finding myself in, in that research. I don't think I found myself till I went to my first festival where I was just attending and saw black and brown people on stage. They were not my friends here in Ohio, right? Yeah. Because I was by myself for the most time. And it, it was just interesting to me because you had to, you didn't, you couldn't prime Amazon an outfit to yourself. <laughs> You couldn't go to Sheen yeah. and pick something up or Fashion Nova. You had to make everything. You had to know somebody that knew somebody that sold rhinestones. So a lot of my um, drag queen friends essentially carried me as a drag child. Mm-hmm. So essentially I was raised by drag queens. Mm-hmm. It's like being raised by wolves, but <laughs> with rhinestones. Amazing. But they, re- they remembered burlesque. And I was introduced to more stuff from them and honestly the glamour that i've always learned about has been from drag queens um i want to get to that in a later question right but for now in january of 2003 you debuted your first live performance to white rabbit by jefferson airplane Um, (laughs) (laughs) and you've described this as an exhilarating experience despite some performance flaws So as a self-taught performer, how do you approach (coughs) learning from your mistakes and working it to a level that you're happy with? That performance was such a mess. 
I want to specifically tell the fact that I spent $400 on a beautiful taffeta corset at this goth shop in Denver. I saved all of the pennies I could for my job, all my tips, and I ended up finding a random knife on stage while I was performing because I couldn't get out of my corset, and I sliced it open. <laughs> so what I learned from my experience was preparation, investigation, and that nobody was going to help me if I didn't ask because the way that my, my pasties were adhered to me was because of the drag queen. Mm -hmm. They gave me nail glue. Don't, don't put nail glue on your pasties. Learned that lesson. I don't know. It was like the first time being in that stage was the only time I performed in Denver and then shortly I moved to Ohio and it was more of a kind of being taken under somebody's wing over here, a, a drag queen, mm -hmm. Danielle Vasquez. Mm -hmm and uh, Erica Martinez, and then just going from there. It was it was more learning about performance by watching other people present performances. And I remember one specific thing that my drag mother at the time said, is first and foremost, you're an entertainer. You're supposed to entertain. The way that you entertain is unique, and it's something that you have to learn how to do well. So make sure you grab your coat, cover up, and don't reveal your costume till you get on stage. And that stuck, that stuck with me. But like it's been like little pieces of advice that I've been given through years from very wonderful bur burlesque and drag family members on on feedback. And I don't, I, I think I was taught feedback even in my first performance because uh, there was a goth band playing that night, <laughs> and the girls that were the go-go dancers go like, you look so natural. And then somebody's like, but if I can give you a piece of advice, the girl turned around to the other girl and said, shut up, don't ruin this for her. And that was it. Like, years later, I asked her about it, and she's like, oh, you don't ever want to hear unwarranted advice at your first performance. Everybody's a critic, not everybody's a doer. So, yeah. You know, when you say that that performance was a mess, you know, you obviously had a bar that you had set for yourself as to where you would like it to be, you know. <coughs> like, what informed what that bar was for you? And when you're forging this career on your own with not a lot of support around you, like, how do you go about deciding which are the tidbits that are useful for you in order to get you to that place, that standard that you've set for yourself? So, I think the standard for me was just like, get on stage and try to do the best I could do to impress. And the things that I was using to impress were my influence as of burlesque, which I did not know then that I grew up with burlesque around me in Mex Mexico and Mexico, we had vedettes over there that danced on Saturday mornings shows. And I didn't realize that there were burlesque performers. I didn't, I was made to believe that essentially people of color didn't exist in burlesque or they were niche. And I, I heard that a lot. They're like, well, you're Mexican, you can't do burlesque. Mm. That's like white girls only kind of thing. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure you're wrong, but I'm gonna wait. But the 
the glamour of Mexican women, of the the nightlife. I just I just wanted to look powerful on stage, and I did whatever I could to represent that on stage. And I do come from a family that is very um, much entertainers themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My mom was a singer with mariachi, so oh, wow. I I was able to join the stage early, but I think I didn't think of myself as learning when I was that young till I went to my first festival. Mm-hmm. That's when I was like, well, maybe I should do something different here. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that you obviously had a lot of support from your drag family. And of course, besides the tips and tricks that one of your mentors, Danielle Vasquez, as you mentioned, gave to you about how to operate within the world of nightlife as an entertainer. Like, how do you credit them for shaping you as the performer you are today? And, like, coming from that scene, like, how did you dif- differentiate what you did as burlesque from presenting it as drag? So this is the cool part where I had a lot of really wonderful, knowledgeable people around I think when the LGBT community our community essentially comes forward and starts helping you learn they're doing it by verbal story storytelling and it's a different link right and they were telling me about I hate saying her name but I'm gonna say it once and then everybody can catch up as Gypsy Rosalie Mm -hmm. I call her Rosalie because obviously we understand what that name means Mm. for those who don't you should google it but they were telling me about the Sigfield Follies. They were telling me about these drag queens and trans women that participated in burlesque. So they remembered burlesque. I grew up in a very lucky space where my drag mother now, Erica Martinez, which is Danielle Vasquez's drag mom. Mm-hmm. So she's my drag grandma. They knew what burlesque was. So they knew what I was doing. But I was never treated differently. I was an entertainer, and they always made sure to introduce me as a burlesque performer. I was never introduced as anything different. There was things that I adopted from drag. They showed me how to rhinestone. They showed me how to sew. Honestly, like, took me in and and showed me what showmanship was. It was applied to the same, and that's where I learned that burlesque and drag were always hand to hand, but often separated because of this misogyny colonial idea of just this make this burlesque art form being matriarchal and only for six white women. The more that I was with them as a person of color and immigrant, I was with other people of color and immigrants in burlesque and in drag. We started pairing ideas and started like hearing history. That's honestly where I drew a lot of inspiration to start my research for history because I had really awesome teachers and they taught me that if you look for it, you will always find it. You'll have to dig, but you'll always find yourself in history. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about drag balls back in the 1930s, there was burlesque there. We talk about burlesque and drag through history everywhere but it's it's just different words and different meanings for the 
era. There is one difference specifically that I will always hear. If you're doing burlesque, you better know how to tease. <laughs> if you're doing drag, you better know your words to the lip sync. I think that's a could definitely be seen as two cornerstones of each art form. But let me tell you, not everybody can lip sync. It's it's like the weird thing where people think it's just moving their voices to the lyrics, but according to my drag siblings and, and ancestors, it's about emoting mm. the words with emotion. Drag artistry can move you to tears, can make you feel empowered, it can make you feel complete and just so many feelings. Yes. Or less can do the same. Yes. But they get a verbal, you know, ability to to speak it out. We have to enact it. Mm-hmm. But both of them are about emoting f- emotion. Indeed. So Bella, here's an easy one for you. How did you come by the name Bellison? Once upon a time, I was a little goth girl. Oh, yes. Um, and I thought it was cool to do beautiful sin because I was like, oh, seven deadly sins, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. No. Uh, I was like, that's too long. And Sin was my favorite song for Nine Inch Nails. Ah. Sin is also translated in Spanish to without. So I was just like sitting, listening, like talking to my abuela. And she was listening to the song Bella Sin Alma. And I was like, beautiful does mean bella in Spanish and in Italian, which I speak both. And I was like, sure. So I put Bella Sin. And it was a nod to the song that my grandmother was listening to. The ideology of I don't want to live in a world without beauty because it's Bella Sin, beautiful without. Mm -hmm. And then um, for some reason through the years, (laughs) people was like, oh my God, you named yourself Bella from Twilight. I'm like, no. No. (laughs) And then they're like, oh my God, you're Italian. And I was like, no, Mexican, close flag, close flag. Mm-hmm. But um, everybody's actually pronounced my name incorrectly through my whole career. <laughs> it's actually not Bella. It's supposed to be Bella. Bella. Oh, but I my stopped, apologies. But I stopped. I was like, it's both now. It's, it's, it, you can call me both. But I would laugh because every time I corrected somebody, they would get so offended. And they're like, well, this is American, you speak English. And I was like, well, technically you're saying Bella, that's Italian, but sure, Jan, go off. Yeah, like um, I'm halfway tempted to like re-record that intro and introduce you no, correctly. Anyway. Okay. I think um I think people don't understand. I've been in, in this for so long. Sometimes I had to mask and just grin and bear it. Because in the society that we live in, in the United States, in some other places, you can't really speak your language. And asking somebody to do the minimum of pronouncing my name correctly was an inconvenience to them. So it's, um, it's weird because when I talked to other entertainers, I was like, hey, can you phonetically spell your name so I can pronounce it correctly? And we do that for our festival, like, hey, phonetically spell your name. Let us hear say your name. Sometimes we have misses and we're very apologetic, but like I make sure that I learn people's names and how to spell them is a, is a minimum, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, 100%. That is usually my practice, except this is a cold call. <laughs> Pretty much. So I didn't really give myself a fighting chance, now did I? No, you did. You had it right, technically. I didn't correct you. <laughs> and you are kind of like trilingual or quadlingual. So, so there's one of the languages you speak. Um, I speak French, Italian, I speak Spanish, English, Portuguese. Wow. Um, it's running away from me for some reason, but I'm still able to understand it 100%. Mm -hmm. And I also speak uh, two indigenous languages, which is one is Ranamuri and one is Nawa, oh. um, indigenous. And then I also am currently learning Russian. <laughs> My neighbors are Russian, so I said hi to him. I was like, Privet. And his face was so happy when I greeted him in, in, in Russian that he'll come up to me and like teach me a couple more words to say a proper good morning or good afternoon. I love languages. I also joke around that I speak fluent drag queen because that's a, that's a whole nother language to some people. <laughs> we have something here, like it's called uh, Gale. And it's a, a language that was kind of invented as well, much like, you know, in the drag scene, but amongst queer people of color um, in the Western Cape, known as colored. That's like the government mm -hmm. official name um, for us mixed race folk. And yeah, Gail is like a substitution of female names. So if I'm talking about your mm -hmm. Hazel, I'm talking about your booty. Ah, <laughs> you know, like Priscilla's are cigarettes. Betty's or beers, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. The funniest thing is that when we could switch, right, as people of color, because I can go really quickly between conversation. Mm -hmm. And my husband noted that when he first met my family, we could switch quite quickly. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I was able to follow a little bit of that, but then you change pattern of speech. And I was like, yeah, we speak in our indigenous language. What's the problem? He's like, no, 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 it's fine. I was just curious. But like when we come into spaces, like I'm like, oh, hey, girl, how you doing? Ooh, slay. That's sickening. People are like, did you just insult them? I was like, no, that means that that's beautiful. But this is before RuPaul put this language out there, right? And we should, and we should factually say this is the language of people of color within the LGBTQ community that has been co-opted by other people. Because slay the house down boots, you cannot tell me a white person came out with that. Yeah. <laughs> In 2004, you founded Cleveland's premier burlesque troupe, La Femme Mystique, known today as Cleveland Burlesque, and have been awarded a certificate of recognition by the Ohio House of Representatives for your work and activism in revitalizing the burlesque movement and community in Cleveland. So what has motivated you to pursue this line of work? To be honest with you, I've always been in activism. My family has always been in activism. I learned about the fight of equality when I was very young. And my aunts and uncles protesting for the better treatment of people in Mexico and and just the conversations we would have with people like my abuela and all that. Those things are very important to us, especially since some of us are light-skinned Mexican and light-skinned indigenous, my grandmother was very good about saying, my abuela said, you're a shield for people. Act like a shield, protect the people behind you. And she was obviously talking about my family. 
Mexico is so diverse and people don't think about that. We were always put forward in the idealism that everybody deserves respect, equality, and we always fought, fought for it. Gay rights, trans rights, the fact to just have an education um, in a very patriarchal society. And my mother always put on to us that we had to, we had to stand our ground and fend for ourselves and defend others when needed. So when we came to the U.S., it became this like, well, we have to be quiet and hide mm. and be more reserved about what we do in silence, which did not sit well with me because I think I've received a reputation of a loud mouth of burlesque. <laughs> mm. Wonder how she got that. I don't know. <laughs> activism requires you to be loud. I mean, I suppose there is quiet activism. But quiet activism is is important and it plays mm -hmm. its role. But when I see an injustice and I see something that can obviously be fixed and helped in nobody saying something, mm -hmm. that is to me watching people just sit there and overlook justice. So I started really heavily with LGBTQIA rights. I was the member of Mosaic, the motivational outreach for the support and acceptance of an integrated community in my high school in Denver, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Shortly, I joined an immigration um, justice group outside of my high school. My mom was definitely not happy about that because she's like, you're going to bring too much attention to yourself. Please be careful. Um, that's where I learned more about different movements that were happening around us that were always part of us besides immigration. Um, then when I moved to Ohio, here's the culture shock. I lived within a Mexican community in Denver. So there was very much let's help each other out, you know, succeed and be safe to moving to an all white community in Ohio. Mm. That was scary. Because not only did people know that I was not white, but the things that they so candidly said around me and like the way that I would check people, like, I was like, Hey, you can't say that that's offensive. And they're like, Oh, there's no people here to hear it. And I'm like, hello, I am people. <laughs> <laughs> I am people. So it was, um, joining more of LGBTQIA community within that, like feeding the uh, homeless gay youth, um, feeding immigrants. We were doing women's have options. We were doing reproductive uh, rights. We were doing, we were doing a little bit of everything. Like, I spend my my time sometimes in soup kitchens and creating community, volunteering, putting my hands to work, and that was normal to me because I came from that being normal. The importance of generating community aid. Burlesque is an industry, it's not a community. There is community within industry, but there's community within people that live within those those realms. Mm -hmm. We cannot say that we have a community because we don't. We have an industry that's incredibly messed up right now and it will get better and it's getting better. But like a community is a group of people that are constantly living with each other, trying to go ahead and all work for the betterment of their situation. Mm -hmm. In industry, we do this for profit. Some of us. Some of us. <laughs> so, apparently, some people don't like to get paid. Or some people don't like to pay, so it's that. Mm. But 
I can't sit there and not say anything. I put myself in danger uh, very publicly. We joke around about it now, but our house is a little fortress. There's mm -hmm. cameras, there's motion sensors. We, we made our home as safe as possible because people don't see how many death threats I get on a daily basis. What? Just for speaking for justice. This is normal to me. Like I've been called every name on the book, been told to go back to my country, being told that I'm a nuisance, being told that I'm going to get essayed or, you know, unalived. Wow. And just for speaking up, going to rallies, holding people responsible, holding people accountable outside of burlesque. Burlesque may be a bubble that I exist in, mm -hmm. but as a Mexican immigrant person, I have been in deep with what I have to do for my Latino community. I think it's very important that people understand that when I'm coming from a space of teaching you and holding you accountable, is from existing in my own community to fight for rights of other people because words are dangerous right now more than ever i've gotten a little more quiet because i'm working on something and there's there's times because i'm a public person i can't work in certain in, in certain things that we're doing to help people because there's a matter of secrecy that needs to happen I'm not a quiet person looking person. <laughs> <laughs> not a quiet looking person. Right, red hair, super loud, <laughs> tattoos. Mm -hmm. So what I focus on is bringing attention to causes through my social medias, through everything that I do for equity and equality. Burlesque has afforded me the ability to continue supporting causes financially, raise awareness, and change people's minds of what an immigrant is. I don't think my work is done in any of this. I'm, I'm, I'm mostly always wondering, like, the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot of historical archival of Mexican history in Northeast Ohio, where I live, and proving to people that we've been here all along. First of all, we're indigenous to the land, so whatever. In burlesque, we see those same political points. And a lot of people are like, I'm not political. I just want to get into entertainment. I'm just dancing here tonight. Funny story, burlesque is so political. You just existing with your body on stage is political. There is no way around it. You can entertain all you want, but you know what? There is people that put themselves in danger for you to go out and do a performance in that venue that very evening. And if you don't get involved in the equality, in the equality rights and fight for your siblings, for your friends, that I had to say it, you're, you're not a burlesque performer. You're not doing an art form. You're just standing on stage mimicking an empty vessel because you don't want to accept what burlesque is, what drag is. This art, burlesque, drag, is valid art. Art is dangerous to the establishment because art gives voice to the people, represents the people, puts forward the people. I understand that we can be really fancy, rhinestones covered and crusted champagne glass dancing mm -hmm. performers but guess what we can say it with a meaning it's like yes that's the vessel it's served in however you choose to serve it in but what is the contents made up of and that's why i i hate emptiness on stage that's when i tell you like i see emptiness and i was like nope not interested you can be anything you want to be on stage you don't 
you don't have to wear rhinestones, you can, whatever you want to do. But if you're not entertaining and you don't have passion and you don't understand what that vessel's serving, that's going to be an empty performance. So on that note... my opinions. <laughs> I imagine that these are all things that influence what you put on stage. And yeah. looking at your performances, they do appear in several forms. What do you, would you say you are putting down on stage that you're hoping people are going to take with them? Well, one, they're going to know I'm Mexican. Mm. Uh, <laughs> somebody said that there's a drinking game. Every time that I say I'm Mexican, you have to take a shot. Oh, really? So, RIP. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when I met Latino legends in person, I was already in the course of changing the work that I was putting on stage. I was not happy. I, I felt like I was forcing myself to be somebody different. Although I enjoy old school burlesque, I enjoy neo, I wasn't really finding myself. When I found my Latin legends, I found myself. Like, I saw them, I saw me, I saw myself in it, and I realized that I belonged. Well, that unleashed the already ongoing decolonization, deassimilation of myself, and just becoming truer and truer on stage. I wanted to be who I was on stage and I achieved it. Um, it took a long time for me to achieve it, but it's, it's continuously a work in progress because I wanted to challenge the idea that Latino music was not burlesque music or old school music. They're like, you have to use jazz to be old school. I was like, you know, there's Latin jazz, <laughs> you know, the mambo, samba, merengue, cumbia, that is burlesque music. Do, do you know? Um, who Perez Prado is, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, he played with Duke Ellington, just in case you didn't know. I started finding this ideology of what I was presenting on stage and I wanted to be as loud as possible. And then came in the 2015, 2016 election when, uh, unfortunately the orange one was around and I, I kept being told it's never going to happen. And then it did. I remember just having my son in crying on the internet because i was just like we're not going to survive this like do you guys understand what you just did mm -hmm. and the next day i picked myself up and i said i was going to be as loud as proud as latin as latina as possible queer as possible like as as who i am and um i started doing only music in spanish and my only caveat around that is POC music. Mm -hmm. So I really like not till like maybe last year, I did one song. Shout out to Ellie Donahue for being amazing from a non POC artist. But everything that I have put on stage has been Latin. Mm. And if they wanted to see me, they will know who I was. They would know what I was doing. And I was directly speaking to the Latinos in the room with my numbers. And uh, I remember somebody not wanting to introduce me as a Mexican immigrant because they didn't want to get political. And I looked at him. I was like, what? This is who I always have been. If you don't introduce me, I'm going to walk out. The producer made them introduce me. And that's when I created Malagueña Salerosa. Adelita, that's a tribute to my mom. 
I ended up in Burlesque Hall of Fame in 2017. Mm-hmm. The movers and shakers and uh, innovators. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, <laughs> I had a smile from ear to ear. That's what inspired the POC sponsorship because I was aided in applying. So I wanted to help other people have that same opportunity. So that's where that came from. That is a fantastic then, initiative. Yeah. We got 55 people this year. Wow. As I went forward, I started presenting old school burlesque with Latin music. And a lot of people are like, Bella, this is not old school burlesque. Latin music is not old school burlesque. And I was like, yes, it is. And then other Latinas were presenting themselves as that already not going in their journeys. And they were proving the same deal that Latino music is old school burlesque. This idea of what burlesque is, is so white-centered, colonized, like white European BS in this like idea of burlesque Americana, which I talk about a lot in my history class, is based on white supremacy ideals. So when you tell me or another person at color that this is not burlesque, I'm gonna tell you that jazz was made by black people. You're dancing to black people's music and they'll, they'll find a way around that. Mm-hmm. But like, as I go forward, I've been using Latin artists nonstop. I, it showed me the, the history of Latin music in the world, the effect. It's not just about Bad Bunny right now being the top artist. There was people that helped him get there prior to him. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Benito. But the the importance of our history and our... Res- I, I, I like to talk about resilience, but this was achievement. We, we were told, no, you can't come in. We're like, excuse me, we're in the band. <laughs> <laughs> we're already in. I don't know, my performances now make me so happy. They make me fulfill. I'm going on to another journey, which is making eight costumes for my mom's um, tribute. Mm -hmm. Um, She passed away last year. So now I'm doing eight acts that essentially talk about her life, stories that I know, but the way that I'm going to keep her alive is through this, right? Mm. And I know that there's going to be videos and pictures and somebody's like oh yeah that was a number for their mom yeah so therefore kind of giving my mom this like eternal memory of it this journey is a little more difficult because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's very emotional but people are not going to get it they're going to see a beautiful number mm-hmm. my family may understand it but people are going to see my culture hear like see what they've been seeing still but in a more grandiose style and maybe see me cry on stage again. Mm-hmm. I've done it once before. Um, <laughs> yeah, like the journey now is going to be uh, interesting to see what I develop and put out there. I already put out two X, one for Marinka mm-hmm. and then the other one for my mom. Um, and that's how I'm processing grief. I think this is a beautiful way to pay tribute. And one of the things I actually wanted to ask you like earlier on is like, I'm sure that being an immigrant child, it always comes with pressure. I think you said once before that your mom said to you, you have one chance to make it in this country. And I'm like, yes, Bayesin, kind of like, this is how you choose to, to pave your way. I don't think that people understand 
how hard I work, why I do the things that I do, why I act the way that I act, why I have the ideals the way that I do, because they're not immigrants themselves. Obviously, there's everybody that has served different points of um, marginalization. And when we come here to this country, it's a constant struggle to achieve any kind of security, any kind of ability. What I like to remind people is that the thing that sucks about decolonization and deassimilation is when you realize the American dream, in quotations, because America is a continent, not a country. I said that very loudly, mm. that it was a lie. And you start understanding that your mother gave the sacrifice for better lives for us with, with that lie in mind that we're told like, hey, you're welcome here. U.S. is for everybody. No, um, it's not. <laughs> it's I keep telling people, it's like, it's crazy to me that I we immigrated to escape gun violence in like cartel activity and we came here to <laughs> all gun violence. I nervously, I, I nervously laugh about that because I'm just like, mm. the idea that I've had one opportunity from my mother in my mind, mm -hmm. I didn't waste it. And I don't want to waste it. There's days that I don't want to get up, but I do. You keep going, you fall down, you dust yourself up, you get up and chin up and keep going put some red lipstick on you'll be fine um which did cost me for a while to ignore my mental illnesses and you know like just my self-care because that is to us a privilege <laughs> unfortunately mm -hmm. to some of us but i think the the most important part is that she saw the rise of my burlesque career um she became incredibly supportive because she wasn't um, but she became incredibly supported. Um, and she came to a show. She had so much fun. Um, it was great. My whole family was there and they were so supportive. She would give me advice on all this stuff. She became a stage mama. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I think everybody got to know her through me. And it was like, I, I posted about her cancer battle very publicly since it started in 2011. Somebody told me actually a couple of weeks ago, it was like when you announced that your mom passed away, it was almost like a legend passed away because everybody knew your mom. And I like, I didn't get it. And they're like, why didn't you submit her to the 20, uh, to the in memoriam for burlesque Hall of fame? And I was like, I didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's this whole, like, there's a book, the rest belt burlesque. Yes. That we that that was created. I've been in magazines. I've been in newspapers, centerfolds. Um, I've been in TV, both local and national, <laughs> and <Yeah>. international. <laughs> I've done all this crazy stuff because, first of all, like, thank you to my ancestors. But like, I've done all this stuff with purpose, and I continue to think about my like legacy and hopefully the legacy that I will leave for my children and for my family, for my nephews, for everybody that's working in burlesque, you know, I'm hoping that at 85 year old, I'm um, slowly walking through Legends Walk one day. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. So that would be the best. We will be the, we'll be the, um, 
sitting there in chairs going like, finally, we got a front sit. <laughs> I'll take any seat at this point. Uh, so literally. Uh, sometimes you have to make your own table. No, actually, fuck that's it. That's what I did. Yeah. Why take any seat? We want the front seat. That's what we're working towards here. You know, I, I, I want the venue, not the seat. I want the land back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's the this idea of success, right, is different for all of us. Our road is different. This is what I kept reminding people. I stopped, I get in my head too. Mm. But stop thinking you're not good enough. Stop thinking that you're not doing enough. Stop thinking that you're, you're not worth investment in yourself. Mm. If one thing I can say, I'm my biggest own cheerleader because my mom made it clear that she loved me, she supported me, but I had to believe in myself if I was going to have other people believe in me. And that changed my mind so quickly. So I became a little menace of self-belief. And like somebody once said, I was like, well, somebody has to toot their own horn. And I was like, and I will toot it. I will bump it with a trumpet. I will sing it from the rooftops that I'm awesome. And if you don't like it, that's fine. You don't have to listen to me. But I know you're going to have to hear me. <laughs> that's what's wild to me because when the list happened, yeah. I'm going to get I'm going to tell you, I'm going to spill some tea. 2022. Mhm. 21 was the first time I appeared in Burlesque Top 50. I oh. didn't think that would ever happen. In my wildest dream, did I think I was ever going to see my picture there? I don't even think I dreamt of it. I just knew that that was impossible. <laughs> wow. I was just With like, everything that you've achieved up until 2021, you still didn't think, like, not one time could you see your face there. If asking the burlesque community to see a fat, immigrant, Mexican, indigenous, non-binary person entertainer I'm here for when all they of can it. barely see a black woman like you know that that list was hella white for a while and then on top of that there was we we forget about the whole indigenous headdress fiasco from years ago mm. <laughs> but i i think that it has turned a new leaf mm -hmm. because education is wonderful and self-investment is wonderful and it's changing and it seems like burlesque 21st century burlesque is changing and focusing on anti-racism work. And that's wonderful. And that's beautiful. Because I want to remind people that of the power of people being able to change their story and learning to be a better, better ally and better people. There's such a power in change. I feel like my mom set this up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she said... Um, the blocks that we cannot see, I will be able to remove for you when I'm not here. <laughs> I was about to um, ask, like, when you said that you feel like she set this up, <laughs> what you mean, like, while she's was physically with us or from beyond? She, she told me that when she was still physically with us in hospice. Yeah. But it happened after she passed away. So we were, we were with my husband's family. We ordered Mexican food. Or do you just call it food? <laughs> <laughs> we were just hanging out after um, it was safe for us to gather as a family. We tested it, everything. We're like, you know, usually I'm not on the phone when I'm with family. And um, 
my phone is blowing up for some reason. I'm just like, put it on, on silent, you know, because I'm excited about these tacos that are about to come to me. Um, and my friend Ruby Spencer, shout out to Ruby Spencer from Chicago. She texted me, she's like, have you seen the internet? <laughs> she's like, have you seen the list? And I was just like, what? She calls me and I go to take the call and they're trying to figure out who's going to go pick up the food, right? It's It's a mess. So I go into the room in my mother-in-law's bedroom and I'm talking to her. I was like, hey, what's up? She's like, have you seen the list? And I was like, oh my God, did you make it in? Uh, everybody everybody sleeps on Ruby Spencer. Don't sleep on Ruby Spencer. Mm-hmm. She's my favorite tall lady of burlesque. I go look at it and of course we couldn't go look at the link. We had to go open it somewhere else. So I'm looking the way that I levitated, screamed, and started crying and, like, just jumping. My mother-in-law is like, oh, my God, did she see a mouse? Okay. I'm over here, like, t- 24, and she's she's about to go on stage. Ruby's about to go on stage. She called me, should I find out. And uh, I hung up with her, and I called my dad immediately. And I told him. And, of course, my family didn't know what was happening. <laughs> So they're seeing me screaming and laughing and crying. Mm-hmm. And then I came out. I was like, I'm number 24. And my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law, it took them a second. They're like, oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was super cool. So we got to celebrate with my family, with Mexican food. And it was almost like my mom planned it. You know, that's that's why I think it's so beautiful. And then um, my husband brought me flowers like like a week later. I was like, I tell him, I was like, what are these for? And he's like, did you count them? There were 24 roses. Mm-hmm. And I was like, the best thing ever. And then um, this year, so somebody said last year, I only made it to the count- countdown because my mom passed away and people felt sorry for me. And I was just like, yeah, that's rough. Thanks, dude. But that stayed with me, right? Mm. And then... Uh, the list got released and my friends were freaking out and I was like you're gonna come out in it what's the problem I remember specifically Margo Mayhem and me talking and I was like you're gonna be in it what's the problem Gigi Holiday. I was like you're gonna be in it and then like I was talking to a bunch of my other friends I was like you're gonna you're gonna be there so the first uh, 30 got released and I was like okay and I just went on with my day and I was just like if my ancestors will list for me to be here, it will be. And I just became so unstressed of it. And I was stressed about other things with family. And uh, I was on the phone with Lola Love Letter. Shout out to Lola Love Letter. <laughs> I got a text message from friend Ro Paul. He goes, congratulations. And I was like, what? What did I do now? <laughs> uh, it wasn't me. And then my phone starts blowing up and I was like, the list is out. And I was like, nah, nah. And I go look, first I went to go check where Gigi was. And I was like, okay, Gigi 11. Gigi holiday, yeah. (laughs) I have my favorite, so I was just like, you know, I wanna make sure that my friends made it. I wanna celebrate my friends. I scroll up and I was like, 19. And I just started crying. And then Lola was like, I told you. I was like, you don't get to use my worst against me. 
mm-hmm. but it was that she saw a whole range of emotions of this this person and um i i still check i feel like i'm dreaming it's weird because obviously all of us has goals and mm-hmm. i put it out to the ether in the universe that one day i get to compete and win for miss exotic world right and same for viva las vegas i put it out there that one day i'll be able to compete and win these pageants right because i'm a compet i'm a sagittarius i'm a competitor yeah when's your birthday um, <laughs> december 2nd december 2nd i'm on the first oh hell yeah yeah what's up sagittarius friend what's up sagittarius fringe let's go light things on fire together yeah me you and i think uh, the other sagittarius i've spoken to is lulu dashes <laughs> oh my god i get to see her in a couple of weeks I'm i believe so, so i'm so proud of her i'm yeah. so proud of her last year i did her makeup for stage it was such a beautiful experience to see my indigenous sister just just go and take that stage and i'm gonna tell you when she started that that moment in the silhouette when she started dancing with the indigenous music it was pure fire and the way that she took over the whole room, who she was on her truer self. I keep telling people, I was like, Miss Exotic Worlds win because they're being their true, honest selves on stage. Mm. It's not this act that you're going to make for behalf specifically to try to compete. It's when you're the honest freaking version of yourself that that crown gets put in your head. We had her here in Ohio in 2019 unfortunately cleveland <laughs> had a very unfortunate teen name and it has now changed yes go guardians when she came there was a lot of people that understood what that message was from having an indigenous person headline our festival she's an amazing entertainer she's an amazing person sorry lulu is a perfect example of somebody really freaking investing in themselves to achieve what they want when she got to number two i was screaming and the interesting thing about um the the list is that because it's voted for by the public it's not a panel of people kind of deciding what they think in burlesque is you know the mover shaker what's happening it's the people and it just goes to show like well you know, when producers make the choices about who they put on stage, when publications um, put out there, you know, who are the photographs being taken of, who are the interviews being done with. And I think that a lot of that has changed slowly in the past five years with more energy in the past three years. I think that the movement when the, um, the Panini started, the mm. movement to online became so so great because we needed it right mm-hmm. we needed to to innovate our own our industry people started paying attention more like it had to slow down for them to see what was going on and um the amount of people that were outed the amount of people that were held accountable the amount of people that were having these open discussions shout out to shimula rue who really worked their buns off to explain all this and to work through this with people for this quality and diversity and equity mm-hmm. like conversations, we really had a moment to to focus, to say, hey, 
no more. Unfortunately, it's still happening. I like to call all all white burlesque reviews or white centered shows the Make America Great Again review or Megan now Megan review. <laughs> <laughs> So a lot of white Brilliant. girls that look the same, dancing the same. <laughs> so no diversity of body, no diversity of gender orientation or background mm -hmm. or people of color. Like those are still happening. There's still venues all over the world that still want this one size, one look style, which honestly is an Americanized, like U.S. kind of thing that influenced the world that is not burlesque to me. I'm just going to say this. Not everybody needs to own a festival. Not everybody needs to go ahead and produce a festival. Not everybody needs to produce. Not everybody needs to be in burlesque. Not everybody needs to be in drag. If your core values do not include diversity, inclusivity, equity, the ability to be brought into a conversation instead of ignoring it, I, I really don't want any more people that think the white, skinny, cisgendered idealisms are burlesque. Burlesque is a global concept, right? Obviously, other countries have it. Why is everything so U.S.-centered? It almost seems like separated. Like, there's U.S. burlesque and everybody else. And it bothers me because like people in Mexico, people in the UK, people in Canada, people in South America, people in South Africa, in Asia, in, in, in different places don't even get to see. We don't get to see their burlesque and their styles unless they're that white centered European style, that Americanization of like this burlesque Americana idealism is which some of them are great. I love them. Yeah. But some of them, somebody that wanted to come to OBF asked me if they can do this one number, if it was going to be insulting to you people in the U S because we were so butthurt all the time, <laughs> literally the words she used. Mm -hmm. And I looked at the act. I already fucking knew I shouldn't have. Couldn't get even 30 seconds in because it was a racist caricature of Middle Eastern people. I was like, please don't apply to OVF. Please don't come to the States if you think that this is comical or good. She blocked me, obviously. But like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to release a set of merchandise that says uh, I blocked Bellison or I hate Bellison. Mm -hmm. I think it was Raquel Reed that had that I hate Raquel Reed.com. Oh, that wow. was amazing. That that was a move. That was a boss move. Shout out to Raquel Reed and um, Sin City Burlesque Festival. That's applications currently open. Um, everybody should be applying to festivals, but you should be doing your research on festivals. If they don't have a diverse lineup, don't go. If they're not supporting other people of color, don't go. In essence, learning about how to properly put together a show as a producer includes anti-racism work and includes looking at your biases, making sure that you're offering something for everybody because nothing is more insulting than taking this assumption that the audience doesn't want to see it. Because I 
been in business with Cleveland Burlesque for now 19 years. My customers like to see it. When I saw diversity in my first burlesque festival, it was in New York. I saw Brown Girls Burlesque. It was 2011, 2010. Uh, that was the first time I saw diversity in people that look like me. Like, I know that we had Dirty Martini and I love Dirty Martini. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to see fat, queer people of color like me. And that was the first time I felt seen because there was somebody like me on stage. Since then, like Aurora Bubrialis, Grandma Fun. Um, Grandma Fun just came out in HBO's uh, Lisa Ling's um, document, no, documentary. Our Filipino friends um, are just getting notoriety in burlesque. Mm. You know, our Asian friends, um, South Asian specifically, are just getting notoriety in burlesque. Misty Lotus yeah over in uh in europe they're amazing switzerland um switzerland there you go i think the global concept of diversity in burlesque is so important because the idea of people of color is global but people also forget that the idea of indigeneity is global the first peoples of the continent exist in every continent mm-hmm the thing that I think it's important to also touch on on this, like if you're if you're truly curious to figure out culturally what burlesque is out there, don't just look at burlesque as the U.S. Look at burlesque globally and see what other people are doing. In Mexico, Delirio Tropical, bringing their legends on stage with them, honoring their their Latino burlesque legends. They're having so much success, and the cast is everybody. Have you ever per have performed in Mexico? That's a goal that I have, thanks to the U.S. immigration system. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't live the country yet. So I'm a resident of the United States. Yes. And I am in the processing for my citizenship for now. Mm -hmm. Almost as long as I've been performing or longer. Wow since I was 16, yeah. So not everybody gets to be a citizen immediately. The These processings can take up to 30 years sometimes, and oh it depends God. on where you're coming from from entry. Being an immigrant in Burlesque has put me in a lot of danger because people think it's funny to call immigration on me when they're mad at me. What? It's happened more than once. They've had to actually change my A number and my social security number because people have doxxed me publicly and put me in so much danger and inherently my children my family and the people that i help through my immigration work i keep telling people xenophobia is not exclusive to white people you can have xenophobia and be a person of color you can have xenophobia and be indigenous you have xenophobia it's an unfortunately global problem because yes. of the immigration sentiments that i think have been for the longest time fronted by u.s politics and other things that happen in the world I don't think people understand how hard it is to be an immigrant in burlesque because some of us want to go to international festivals. Um, before I was uh, not able to uh, cross borders, I was able to attend and perform in different places in Canada and like a couple of other, other places. But like people don't understand that like sometimes some immigrants don't have the ability to fill out a tax form 
or are using pseudonyms and names and are asking and requesting to be paid in cash. And that's something that I tell festivals a lot, that I tell producers a lot. If you're hiring an immigrant, if you're hiring somebody that's coming from out of the country, familiarize yourself with your immigration and naturalization services rules, with your immigration rules, which are really complex and complicated. But at least at the minimum, let those entertainers know what to expect. Because we all hear about the girls that get stuck in Canada that are not allowed to come to the U.S. because of work, you know, and stuff like that. They don't get visas or whatever. But we don't talk about our own immigrants and how they have to be around. When I travel, I don't wear any assemblage of me being Mexican. How do you hide your Mexican as a Mexican? <laughs> I don't. They have a caricature of what we look like. Um, Usually is very racist. Yeah. But it's like if you're wearing hoop earrings, mm. shirts in Spanish, Mexican national shirts, if you're wearing certain bracelets that we wear out of, you know, like superstition of religion. Um, but it's it's almost like you have to exist secretly when you're traveling because you're scared that something's going to happen. When the raids were going on in New York, I couldn't go because I was too scared because people were stopping people in walking the street. And they were just asking them for their paperwork. A lot of people don't understand how hard it is to be an immigrant in existing because they don't have that experience themselves. And they don't understand how the system of immigration has been weaponized against people. I have seen families ripped apart in person. Some of the work that I've done is as a free translator for immigration court. I have worked to help people with their papers since I was 16. Mm -hmm. Like I had to be my mom's translator because I was the one that spoke English. So and a lot of immigrants can go ahead and you know relate to that here in the US. But like producers don't understand that if we're pulled over and we don't have the proper paperwork, some people want to detain us, even though we're not doing anything wrong. Mm -hmm. They assume that we're, we're undocumented immigrants. If I speak Spanish in certain spaces, I directly put myself in danger, especially in, in the areas that I live in, especially if we're crossing rural areas. I try to hide in plain sight. A lot of us do. Um, and a lot of people was like, well, Bella, you're, you're light, light skin. I was like, yeah, the, the thing that my friends, a lot of my white friends was like, like you look Latina, mm -hmm. there is nothing white about you. We know you're not from here. Like, don't let other people fool you into this trust that white people will let you into circles because they know who you are. It's weird now in Ohio, at least moving in spaces as a public person, as an immigrant, as an activist, as a queer person, mm -hmm. because now rooms become quiet when I walk in. The way that they talk around me is very cautiously. Um, Ms. Tony Elling taught me about body language and you recognize it in what they're doing. People are just being more cautious about what they say sometimes so they don't get canceled, fired, taken out, you know. The thing that sucks is that in burlesque, we don't take into consideration how we treat immigrants. 
I, I believe that I got really upset at a show because they were asking for like legal status. And I was like, guys, I understand that you have to give people f like all, all these tax informations. I get it. But you have to have a petty cash if you are hiring somebody that's not able to cash a check. And that's universal. Like there's some people of color that don't have bank accounts because we know how institutions are. So a, a lot of people don't think about these things that I think about and they tell me that I'm over concerned or over worried. But from having to live in the shadows with my family for a while when I was in Denver and then coming to Ohio and having to live out in the open, you, you start to see how people live. If anything you're going to take from my experience is that there has been such neglect in burlesque to talk about immigration. There's some performers that don't want their pictures posted anywhere because that could put them in danger in their home countries if they go back to visit family, if they're able to. There's no conversation about, you know, like culture acts that will go on stage and how the performers are treated by MCs. Like, for example, I was like, I don't want to get political. I don't want to introduce it like this, like we, we touched earlier. Mm -hmm. There's no conversation about that. I never even got an apology. Thank you for opening us up and letting us into and continuing those conversations within the burlesque realm and just also in your general life. For me, I love where this uh, podcast has gone. I love the conversation that you've brought forward. Obviously, I had a bunch of other questions about um, <laughs> being the CEO of like the Ohio Burlesque Festival, about your the launch of your BIPOC ethically sourced beauty brand, um, about you starring in all that glitters documentary, about being the center of the Rust Belt Burlesque book. But I love what you have given to us today. And I would just like for you to now take the opportunity to let people know where they can follow the work that you do. Obviously, they're going to find all that stuff on those channels anyway. So just the quickest plug the ohio burlesque festival started in 2011 as an answer to the lack of diversity in burlesque festivals we were one of the few that was starting to be different and 11 years is now this year um we will be changing to a convention so it will be a burlesque festival in a convention where we're focusing in the education in the business end of burlesque so in um house of sin cosmetics <laughs> I talk about it a lot, but I'm always very nervous about it because it's a, it's a developing project where I'm learning a lot. So people can go check it out at thebellison.com. I just want to remind people that Burlesque uses a lot of beauty products and you have to find out if they're ethically sourced because being vegan doesn't mean that they didn't abuse of people constructing it. So there's that. The Rust Belt Burlesque book. It's available for purchase. If you want to learn more about Cleveland burlesque, Cleveland history, and Ohio burlesque as a festival, you will see a lot of beautiful pictures of a lot of beautiful people, especially people of color in there. Wonderfully written by Aaron, Aaron O'Brien and shot by my friend Bob Prokowski. And it's an awesome book available on Amazon and our websites. And then um, where you can find me. I'm a menace on the internet. Uh, <laughs> So you can find me at Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, 
all under Bellison or Bellison C L E. That means Clee as in Cleveland. <laughs> so you can find me there or my website, Bellison.com. Oh, wait. It's Bellison C L E.com. Mm hmm. And then you can find us with Cleveland Burlesque on social medias, Ohio Burlesque Festival so social medias. But you can find us all there. But I really want to encourage everybody that listens to this podcast. I know that we, we talked a lot about, about heavy topics, right? Mm -hmm. I'm doing a lot of free education coming up, putting it up in my YouTube channel. You can find it under youtube.com slash Bellison for the history of the shimmy. So I'm going to be posting a lot of content coming up for historical research, but also releasing Decolonizing Burlesque as a free class, and then a diverse history curriculum class for all schools all over the world. And I really want to put out a call out there. If you're a historian in your local community, all over the world, from the US to Canada to Australia to South America, Mexico, UK, South Africa, I'm trying to get us all to talk and I'm trying to make sure that we are logging the history and the legends of burlesque, cavalry, vedettes, mm -hmm. whatever it may be called in your area, globally. I'm trying to get that all to be logged. Uh, I work really closely with Ohio uh, State uh, Burlesque Collection that they have there, along with Burlesque Hall of Fame. But my goal this year is to archive as much world history of burlesque that's non-white centered, I should say that, <laughs> as possible, because people deserve to see themselves in history. So if you're, you're welcome to contact me via email, bellasonburlesque at gmail.com. If anybody ever has any questions, that's where to reach me. If anybody has hate mail, it goes to my spam. <laughs> <laughs> but the other one um, that's very important to me that I want to say it's 2023 you do the thing go apply to the festival go go believe in yourself go and save money to get the dress go and upgrade your costumes wash your makeup brushes they're sitting there looking at you waiting <laughs> unpack your bag try to do the best you can do for yourself and stop thinking that you're not enough for this industry because you are you are valid. Your art is valid. Everything you do is valid. It doesn't matter who tells you that this is the way that you're supposed to do things. Nah. As long as you're not, you know, hurting anybody and being equitable, I think you'll be fine. Stop using the burlesque movie as a show. Um, <laughs> please. <laughs> burlesque is not a theme. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really also plea with you. Listen to the performers that color around you. Book them, give them a class, help them, source things for them. You will never understand how important your support will be for them because you're actually helping them open the door. They should be walking in the front door, not the back door or the window. If you're not going to do that, then I'm gonna come in as a Kool-Aid man and take out the door. There shouldn't be any more discrimination in burlesque, period. I don't know where that started. <laughs> so. 2023 will be like hashtags go do the thing all i think that's left to say for now is thank you once again for sharing your ideologies with us and also just touching on some of the few moments 
that we've been able to cover in your illustrious career that is continuing to just blossom 2023 i want to see you in the top 10 oh my god yeah stop if that happens like literally i think i may like i don't know honestly because i don't think that's a possibility but if that happens i don't know i'm just happy to be here i'm happy to be invited (laughs) if there's food i feel better it's so amazing meeting you and talking to you again congratulations to you on the burlesque top 50 thank you that's awesome congratulations on this podcast everybody should be listening to this podcast i had a lovely time listening to this podcast while i sewed